Joined hands with Scotty Friday, September 3rd from 10 to 2 at Madeline Supplies. Tool Day's tailgate party. Get great deals on Milwaukee, Husqvarna, Fall Tech, and many more. Win great raffle prizes like jazz tickets, B-suites, and free power tools. All at Madeline Supplies. Tool Day's tailgate, Friday, September 3rd. 1505 West, 130 South in Orem. Riley Jensen is going to join us here momentarily, our college football insider, joining us every week, and we will get his takes on week one, what to expect, what to hope for, what to see. And there are some big games this week, PK, but there are also a lot of games that look pretty lopsided. Obviously, this Ute opener doesn't even have a... uh, doesn't even have a point spread because it's Big Sky, it's Pac-12, it's uh, championship subdivision. Hey, don't be sleeping on the Wildcats. Bowl subdivision. 13 all-Big Sky guys. Josh Davis, stud running back. But they won't win. But don't sleep on them. <laughs> Those are two different things. Well, don't sleep on them at the Big Sky level, that's for sure. Oh, absolutely not. Four straight conference titles. Let's go for five, man. That would be great. That is the goal. That's awesome. I can't believe Jay Hill's still coaching there. Somebody should have snapped him up. Somebody's going to get some. They're going to get somebody. Or somebody, they're going to get him. Whoever gets him, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I'm, I know what I'm trying to say. I can't what you're say trying it. to say is hopefully he'll stay at Weber State and win until that San Diego State job comes open in a year I am or two. not. <laughs> Although, oh, wait, that's what I'm saying. I would root. I'd root for San Diego State if that were the case. I mean, I don't root against him. I don't really care. But uh, obviously, I'd be rooting for Jay Hill wherever he goes. Time now to talk to Riley Jensen, our college football insider on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah is in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Riley, good morning. Hey, what's happening, guys? Football. It's here. Now, of course, it looks like we're slated for some blowouts. Las Vegas doesn't want to put a point spread on the Weber State-Utah game. They never do when the Big Sky's playing the Pac-12. So they expect a blowout there. And then you see that BYU is a 12-and-a-half point favorite over Arizona. Washington State is a 17-point favorite over Utah State. Which of these three games is most likely to have a really interesting fourth quarter and be a competitive game and a kind of thing like, I'm not going to bed early. I don't care if it's midnight. This game's getting right down to it. Who would that be? Ooh, that's, a, that's a tough one. I, I mean, I, <laughs> usually Vegas has kind of some interesting insight. <laughs> they, don't, they don't really miss very much, at least on their, on, their, on their line. If you're looking for a good fourth quarter, I mean, I guess I'm just going to go with my heart and hope that Utah State's in it in the fourth quarter. <laughs> but I, I think those lines are about right. I, the one thing that I will say, you guys were just talking about Jay Hill, and you're right, you should root for Jay Hill. That's, that's a fantastic coach. It's a fantastic person. And if he's at San Diego State, I'm going to be really, 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 really upset for a lot of different reasons. <laughs> but he would be very happy to have him. I think the one thing that I could say about Weaver State and the Utah matchup is there's going to be some uncomfortable moments. This Weaver State team is patterned almost exactly after the University of Utah. You're going to see the same type of defenses. You're going to see the same type of players. Now, of course, they're not, they're not as deep, and they don't have as many good players as the University of Utah. 
but this is a really good Weber fo- football team. And as I watch them and as I talk to the coaches, I think there's as many, and, and look, this is from the freshman class all the way to the senior class, I think there's as many as five NFL football players on the team at Weber State right now. So this is not a terrible team. And I would expect for Utah fans to feel some uncomfortable moments. I mean, Josh Davis is a really good football player. You got Bronson Barron, who's already had a freshman year and is still a true freshman, right? He's he's played some good football. There's a guy by the name of Jared Scheiss on the defensive line. You got Connor Mortensen that plays linebacker. These are fun football players to watch. And so if you feel a little bit uncomfortable as a Utah fan tonight, it's okay. This is a really, really good Weaver State football team. So we've got with Washington State and the uh, Aggies, both coaches refusing to name their quarterbacks uh, game week. And we've had that around here a time or two, but both BYU and Utah, they pretty much knew who it was going to be, and they made it official, so they did name them, no big zero surprise there. But what do you think about this cat-and-mouse game that the coaches play? I I think it's a big nothing burger. I don't – I mean, especially the first game of the year. The first game of the year, it's not like, you know, if you're trying to pick your quarterback, it's not like anybody could prepare really specifically for one quarterback anyway. And good sound uh, sound and and organized defenses, like, they're not, they're not really worried whether this guy is like a dual threat or whether he's a pocket passer. They're more worried about playing fundamentally sound defense. And I think I, I just don't think it's that big of a deal. More than anything, I think it's a little bit of a condemnation sometimes on their position. Like, oh, you, you haven't had a starter step forward? That kind of means that you're, you're disappointed with whoever you thought the guy was going to be, that he's not playing well enough. And so if you're still playing the cat-and-mouse game, um, most of the players know who the guy is. And if you don't start the guy who's the guy, who the players know is the guy, then, then the coach is making a fundamental mistake. But I, I don't know. I, I, I'm a little bit familiar with the Washington State program. The, 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 the way and and really at Hawaii when Rolovich was at Hawaii, I don't. I, I kind of disagree fundamentally with the way that he's treated quarterbacks over the years. I, I don't like the way he does it. It's just my opinion, and I don't think I, I don't think it helps the quarterbacks to play to the best of their ability. So if you don't name a quarterback, are you okay with not naming a running back? Because obviously the Utes are going to go into the season, much as they did last year, given three or four different guys, five, seven, ten carries, whatever, sorted out. Last year they found their guy and they gave him 27 carries in game three. It looks like we're going down the same road. You okay with that? I'm, I'm okay with it because I think it's a little bit different position. I think it's one of those positions where you can play three guys. And I think I think it was towards the end of Mike Shanahan's career at the Denver Broncos. He started proving that you could have like a sixth-round draft pick as long as you have a good offensive line, and then you can play around with running backs until you find the guy that really has the rhythm. And you know they end up having two, three good running backs every year. And I think I think that's kind of what most teams. I mean, they talk about the NFL being copycat. College is copycat more than anyone. And when you and when you start to see that, like, okay, well. We can play three or four guys till we really find out who our guy is. That's not really a big deal because even if you find your guy and you give him the ball 27 times, 
your second guy might be a really good third down situational player. He might be really good at pass blocking and he might be really good at catching the ball out of the backfield. And that's the guy that you want in the game in those situations. And so you really can find out a lot. And I think that's why when you're, when you're using your preseason schedule, it's kind of important for a team like Utah. Um, it's really important for a Pac-12 team to be a little bit wise in the way that they schedule themselves so that they can ease into their conference season um, and fig- by figuring out who their real guy is. Because it's really hard to tell what a running back can do until you're in really super live reps. It's hard, it's hard to tell. So Arizona is going to go the other way. Their coach announces that they're going to play two guys, and that's a little unusual, but we've seen it. And particularly at Arizona, it's probably a little more acceptable because he's got uh, – Fish has got major uh, rebuilding to do. The program has bottomed out, losing 12 in a row. But what I want to know from you is what do you think about when they're going to go with – not the fact that they're going with two, but how do you set that up because – do you go with a hard fast? Okay, you're coming in on the second quarter, but suppose the first, first guy lights it up in the first quarter. You're a twelve point underdog. Suppose you're up seventeen to three. Why commit to go and play? And how do you do? You have a preset, or do you see how it goes? Because that opens it up for a lot of questions and interpretations, and I'm not sure what the answers are. Yeah, I totally agree. I you, you have to have a plan. I mean. You can't just go into the game and not have a plan, whether it's every other series, which I think is a total mistake to a quarterback because it's, it's a rhythm position. It's like saying it's like t- saying to a starting pitcher in, in the major leagues, like, okay, so we're going to have you pitch every other inning. And yeah. I know you can't really do that, right? But yeah. you, 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 you just wouldn't do that to a starting pitcher because you've got to get into a rhythm. You've got to be able to like, be in the flow and kind of – the quarterback position is a little bit of a rhythm position. And if you're constantly out of rhythm because you never know when you're in and you never know when you're out, that can be very difficult. I could see it more being like a first quarter, second quarter. This is what I think would happen. If, if, if I were to do this, which I, I don't think I would, I, I can't see a scenario where I would do this, but I think you would go, all right, we're going to give you the first quarter. We're going to give you the second quarter. And then the second half is up to me based on how you play. Right. So you give them some time to get into a rhythm in the first quarter, some time to get some rhythm in the second quarter, and then you go, okay, so who gives us the best chance to win at this point? But you're right. If the kid goes out and he's gangbusters and you're up 17-3 in the first quarter and then you pull the guy out and you put the other quarterback in, I mean, I, that would be a head-scratcher to me. That would be a real head-scratcher. And I, I hope he's flexible enough to know or to think that. And, I mean, man, the more I'm around college athletics, the more I'm around professional athletes and those sorts of things, like, man, ego is is a dangerous thing with both <laughs> the coaches and the players. And ego can get in the way of so many different things that it's just really, really interesting when, when, when these decisions are made. I'm always looking at decisions going, okay, was there any ego involved with that now? And if there is, then you're kind of making emotional decisions instead of functional decisions. So what percentage of the time do you think people are getting it right, and what percentage of the time do you just walk away shaking your heads like, I can't save them from themselves? (laughs) Um, Boy, that's a really interesting question. I would say say that recently I would probably – listen – 
unless people want to get better and unless people want to look in the mirror, they're not going to get better. And I would say that the number is probably about 50% of the athletes that I work with and 50% of the coaches that I work with, like really do want to get better. Like they, they're, they're not afraid to look in the mirror and see that there's a wart on their nose so they can put compound W on it. But most of the time, the, the people that don't want to, they don't want to look in the mirror and they don't even know they have warts, you know, and it's hard. It's hard to see that because we all have warts, right? We all have our blind spots. If you're not willing to look at it, if you're not in a growth mindset, that's really, really tough to work with. You do a lot of work with the mental health and, and, and just uh, the psychological aspect. You've got training in that. You went back and got all that stuff, set yourself up. you got a nice thing going on. So I wanted to just ask you, it's a little bit off the subject, uh, but I think you're more than qualified to answer this. The golf tournament that they had last Sunday, right? you got Patrick Cantlay and DeChambeau. And it, and it goes into, what, five or six holes of overtime. And DeChambeau ends up losing it. He had a number of putts to win, and he couldn't sink it. And as I'm watching this thing, and we, DJ and I talked about it, I would have bet the farm on Cantlay winning because it seemed like every time he got on the green, he knew that the putt was going in, even if it didn't. And you knew as a viewer that he was going to win draining a long-distance putt, and I think it was 17 to 20 feet. I think they said 20, but put it at 17 later. And DeChambeau had a number of putts that were shorter than that, but he couldn't make them. How much do you think confidence played into that? Because it seemed like Cantlay felt like he was Kobe or MJ with the ball and the game on the line. This thing is going through the hoop. Yeah, it was, it, I, and I had the chance to watch it live, and it was fascinating to me. And I, I tweeted out just how fascinating it was to watch the body language of these two. <laughs> and look, DeChambeau is pretty impressive off the tee, right? And he hit some amazing shots. I mean, just amazing shots. And so did Cantlay. And it was really fun to watch. And, you know, I didn't have the courage to tweet it out. And, and I know this will sound like hindsight is twenty twenty, but – the reason why you felt that way was the body language. I mean, the body language of Cantley compared to DeChambeau was ridiculous. And those those nonverbal cues, it's really interesting, and I could get into the deep studies about this, but the way you stand and the way you hold yourself in difficult situations can have a huge impact on what the messaging is in your brain. So they know that body language affects your, your self-talk, and they know that self-talk affects your body language. But the easiest one to fix is your body language. The easiest one to control is your body language, not all the different nuanced thoughts that go into your mind. And so you're watching these two, and there's all kinds of reaction and all kinds of body language going on with DeChambeau, especially after I think the second one where he missed like, like a six-foot putt, and all of them were going left there for a little while. And then if you watched him when he was putting, there was like, really really rigid arms and i don't i don't know how to explain it and it was almost like he was trying to focus too much on using his big muscles instead of his fine muscles and i just thought that there was way so much overthinking going on where cantley was just like dude i'm here this is a beautiful day i'm really good at golf i'm just gonna let my body do the work right i'm just gonna it was almost as if and it's funny in in mental toughness you're almost trying to cut people's heads off and i don't mean that in, in a terrible way but you're trying to disassociate the thoughts of your brains because all of these guys have hit all of these shots a bajillion times and they can make all these shots. It's the one that can like get their head out of the way and just let their body do the work. 
and that 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 whole uh, you know those six holes were just super fascinating to me. I mean, the the biggest reaction that he got out of Cantlay was just like his little his little tongue coming out, like, "Oh, I nailed that shot." Oh, I nailed that. <laughs> that was the only thing that he showed at all. Is is when he was doing something good. You didn't even have to watch the drive. Like as soon as he hit it, if his tongue came out of his mouth and he was like licking his top lip, it was it was money. <laughs> it was money, and it was just like, holy cow, that was unbelievable mental toughness and really fun to watch for me. And DeChambeau was amazing in his own right. But Cantley just kept the pressure on and kept the pressure on and kept the pressure on. Finally, DeChambeau couldn't couldn't do anything about it. So I want you to go back to something you said early in the answer there about the body language and the messaging to the brain. I thought body language revealed what the brain is thinking. You know, if you're thinking, I'm not going to make this putt, I'm not going to make this free throw, a lot of times that can be seen in someone's body language, right? I saw it in their eyes. But are you saying that the body language can inform the brain about what it should think about this situation? Yes. Really? Yes. They're both, it goes both ways. And so that's why body language is so important, is because they've shown that body language has a direct influence on your, on your, your self-talk, and your self-talk has an influence on your body language. So if I can control my body language, that puts an athlete in control, and the messaging to the brain is different. It's different. And so it's really, it's really fascinating. Um, and it's really, really kind of fun to, to see people. Like if you watch Donovan Mitchell, I know he's talking to some sort of mental performance coach because he is so, he is so deliberate about his body language, even when he's not playing well. And he does all sorts of things like breathing techniques. He even uses a power word or has used a power word in the past. And what, I've, what's, a, I've what's a power word? What's a power word? So, so a power word is like, well, I'll give you the example. I know he says the word sometimes, and he doesn't do this all the time, but in certain times he says the word trust underneath his breath at the free throw line, right? Meaning trust your training, trust the work that you put in, trust your coaches, trust all the experiences that you've had up to this point to be in this moment, right? And then he takes a deep breath and he'll shoot the free throw, right? And a power word is really good because if it's one or two words, like a power phrase or a power word, it can actually just get you hyper-focused on the fundamentals of, like, what you do. And now you're not thinking about, oh, my gosh, am I going to let my teammates down? Oh, my gosh, am I going to let my fans down? Am I going to let my family down? Am I... You're not thinking all these <laughs> negative thoughts that could possibly happen. You're just thinking about, what's the most important thing that I need to do right now to be successful. And these guys are so good. I mean, you know, everybody's going to say DeChambeau choked and all that kind of stuff. Man, he's good, though. Man, he's freaking good. And just a little tweak with his body language, and that guy could be winning just bajillions of, of matches, right? Next time I golf with PK, I'm going to say the word trust before every putt that's inside a 10 feet. <laughs> There's no trust for yeah. 25 feet. 25 feet, you Here's close the- your eyes and you hit it. Here's the problem. I'm not sure that you put in as much work as Donovan in the golf game. I'm pretty sure I don't. I'm pretty sure I don't. The fascinating thing to me, Riley, is, and if I relate it to my little golf situation, I play a fair amount of golf, is why sometimes I'm over the ball and I just know it is Mm -hmm. going to be great. The result is going to be exactly what I want. But other times, it's like I've never been there. How do I take from never been there to where, yep, I know it's going to happen, man. I feel great. So that's a huge leap. 
I would, I would say that's a huge leap in your golf game. To go from, man, it feels like I've never been here before, to, oh my gosh, Pollyanna, everything is sunshine, flower, rainbows, and glitter, is a really, really huge jump. So what I would say to you, if I were working with you, PK, is I would say, hey, try and get yourself to a neutral thought. Okay? So a neutral way of thinking when you're golfing is a 3-2-1 technique. What are three things I can see? What's two things I can hear? What's one thing that I can feel, like the sun on my face, a little bit of a wind, whatever else, take a deep breath, and then hit the ball. And what that does is for 30 seconds, you had neutral thinking instead of negative thinking, like, oh, my gosh, I've never been here before. This feels so off. My grip feels weird, blah, 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 yada, 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 right? So sometimes your biggest win is just to get yourself from that negative thought to what I call neutral thinking. And another way to do neutral thoughts is just to think the way that you would coach your best friend through something. Not the way you would coach yourself, because usually we're really hard on ourselves and really mean. But if you were to coach your best friend through a shot, what would you tell him right now? And that's a really, really good neutral or what I call productive thought that allows you not to go to the cheesy over-the-top, like I'm a stud, I'm the stuff weekends are made of, I was born to be here, all that kind of stuff, right? But... If you can get to, like, if my if I was coaching my best friend right now, what I would say is keep your head down and and commit to your shot. That might be the two things that you say to yourself instead of, oh, my gosh, my grip feels weird. This wind's throwing me off. I can't believe it's raining. You know, all these negative thoughts can seep into our mind when we're golfing. Yeah. Just get to a neutral thought, some sort of a neutral thought. Riley, we'll leave it right there. Thanks for the football and the golf tips, and uh, I'm sure there's a basketball player out there who can take all this to the free throw line, too. That was really fun, guys. Thanks for having me on. Riley Jensen, college football insider and mental performance coach. Riley Jensen Consulting. Join us right here on The Zone. Mike Luke, Arizona Wildcats pre- and post-game host on 1290 AM in Tucson, will join us at 9 o'clock. We'll get his thoughts on the Wildcats being 12.5-point underdogs to BYU Saturday night. How goes the rebuild at Arizona? Mike Luke coming up in half an hour. Stay with us.